Mr. Wolf. All right, welcome to the Vape Week, and you can reach me at vapingindustry at gmail.com, vapingindustry at gmail.com. It's been a fantastically screwed up week. There was a show that I did yesterday, which was basically listening to the FDA uh, workshop on uh, on what was be necessary for vape shops. So uh, that would be a good listen for anybody that owns a vape shop. There's also a lot of other things that are inside of that uh, that that listening of the FDA workshop. So that's pretty much all it is. That actually is all it is. And then I kibitz on it and uh, tell you what I think of the various things that are said. One of the things that was inside of that was that if you are a currently a vape shop that is mixing, that uh, there's a little more legs than I think some people have been putting out there as far as uh, your potential longevity. Uh, it looks like you're going to have two years so long as you just... Uh, do the, the bare minimum of the things that you need to do, uh, which is registering ingredients. I've seen some information going out around uh, about different dates for compliances, um, and there's a lot of people that are pointing at 8-8 uh, as being the ultimate date. So I want to go through uh, just real fast some information as far as what the real dates are and not just everybody saying that the everything dies uh, on August 8th uh, because that really is the message that I keep on hearing people say and it's rather frustrating um, because it's just not the truth okay so the first date is August 8th and that's when the deeming rules are all uh, become effective so even though they're out there right now there's like a 90-day clock before everything kicks in. So once they kick in, then people uh, can't put new products onto the market. That's what that date means. Um, then there's the December 31st date. And at this point, what I'm reading is this is when you have to submit information to the FDA and that is manufacturing information. So it's like, this is who we are and this is our facilities. Now, the sheet that I'm looking at just has the dates, but December 31st, you basically have to essentially register for the draft. That's the way I'm reading it. I can, I could, I will possibly open up another document that shares uh, information similar to this. Then I see on February 2017 that manufacturers are required to submit ingredients for all their products. So. People are saying that you have to submit your ingredients on August 8th, by August 8th. What I'm seeing here, and this is a, a document from Safada actually, is that it is saying that that is, should be on February 2017. So I know that um, I heard Shell Hamill giving out a whole bunch of different dates, and maybe I'll try and pick up that recording. The information that I'm seeing from Safada itself um, in a document titled... FDA deeming regulations analysis, which was published, uh, and everybody can see this. Um, it's February 27, where the ingredients uh, need to be submitted to the FDA. Um, then it also says it's not clear at this time what items the FDA is expecting, uh, and uh, you know as far as what the level of detail of ingredients are. So. I have been using the date December 31st, but according to this document, it's actually February 2017. Um, and so that's that's what I'm seeing. Um, 
And then uh, then there's more dates that will follow after that uh, as far as uh, pre-market. Uh, the PMT TAs would be August 8th, 2018, two years from August. Um, so uh, there's different dates that are going out there. Um, and so for a company that mixes e-liquids inside of a vape shop, hopefully in a very sterile, clean environment and all that stuff, but if they're manufacturing in their retail facilities the FDA in that webinar said that that would be allowed to be continued so long as you go through the normal hoops and ladders uh, for for any type of e-liquid uh, or in this case tobacco manufacturer you'll you'll be treated as a tobacco manufacturer and then you'll have to register uh, by the 31st of this year and then you'll have to uh, do your ingredient listings uh, on February 2017th 2017 according to Safada and I, I heard Shell just uh, putting out wrong information um, and I, I guess I'm probably going to play it because uh, Dimitri kind of uh, gave me his blessing to go ahead and uh, and to, to use uh, you know uh, uh, what, what, what is it uh, samplings of his show so I'll, I'll continue to do it he's uh, if, he, if he has any concerns I'm sure I'm definitely sure he will contact me. Um, and let's see. So, uh, look, I uh, see DYI or die in the room. I'm taking uh, taking uh, questions uh, in the chat. If uh, if you have any uh, questions or harassments or whatever the case may be, in chat. Um, so that's that's one piece of information. As far it, it's it's better it's better than I was thinking. Um, is that the one of the the main people at the FDA is saying that you can still do this in your in your uh, in your vape shop? Uh, you can mix at a retail location. You can be a manufacturing at a retail location, provided you jump through the hoops and ladders. And those hoops and ladders for the first two years are really minimal. Uh, they're really basic things. Uh, so. That was good news. So again, if you want to listen to that whole show, it's really just the FDA talking, um, and they're talking about batteries. They're talking about things that are sold at retail, and uh, I, I uh, kibitz on uh, with what's going on. Um, so it, it's looking very good for DYI, actually DYI or dye vaping, um, because if you listen to that last broadcast, they actually specifically address mixing at home and they specifically say that the FDA is not going to regulate DIY DIY whichever you're going to call it uh, I don't know no, I don't know what that beep was I'm hearing a beep in my ear I do not know what that is so the only thing that would be related to DIY that's going to affect them to any material degree is the availability of nicotine. Now, I was just reading something back from 2009 that indi indicated back in 2001 that the FDA attempted to regulate nicotine as a drug, and they failed. And they failed all the way up to the Supreme Court. And so I found that out this week. It's not something that I've been registering or caring or been thinking about. It was new, a new data point to me. That's a real big deal, especially if it went up to the Supreme Court, because 
things don't go up to the Supreme Court and have a decision unless that decision is going to stick. The, the, F, the Supreme Court rejects a ton of cases because they don't want to opine on them. They only want to talk and make law, you know, and, and create a decision for a case that will have significance. So for whatever reason, maybe this was related back in 2001, I think it was the date. I'm not sure on that, but I think it was. Maybe it was related to vitamins back then because I think maybe vitamins were a real big issue back then. Uh, nutraceuticals or something but uh, when people are saying oh they'll just treat it like a drug uh, I've heard lawyers tell me that that uh, oh they'll just treat it as a drug if if you have uh, tobacco free nicotine I don't think he can do that uh, I'll have to look up this this lawsuit uh, and read it all but the way it was described in the Wall Street Journal was that the FDA attempted to regulate nicotine as a drug and the Supreme Court, the big one, not a, not a state one, but the, the, the actual federal Supreme Court, denied. Uh, and so this is all good news for DIY uh, or DIY vaping. Uh, it looks like you're in real good standing. I think that because of that, it's going to be the same thing with e-liquid companies. And again, what I've been talking about, uh, and I... I, I'm, I'm very close to wanting to talk about uh, it in a larger, a larger, and actually do a show on it. But I've alluded to it many times that I'm attempting to satisfy the requirements for pre-market tobacco authorizations by actually completing the paperwork. So how can you have it that you have people able to do it at their homes, but businesses are not going to be able to do it? You know that those are very disparate positions those are those are radically different and i and all the information that i am reading which is the information from the fda is indicating e-liquids are going to get approved and it's a matter of who it's a matter of who's going to try but e-liquids as a category will pass through and be approved by the fda so when people are running up and down the halls, screaming and freaking out that they're about to destroy vaping, it's, it's maliciously false, it's irresponsible, and that the people that are doing it need to stop, is what I would say to them. Now, they're free to do whatever they want. If they want to, if they want to scream fire in a, in a crowded uh, movie theater, when it comes to screaming the industry is going to go away starting on August 8th. There's no law against that. And you've got, you know, people like Nocknor and the vaping militia that, that you know, that they, this is how they butter their bread. Uh, this is how they, you know, they, they do this at shows and stuff. It's, it's fine for them uh, if they want to do it. It's not fine for them, but it's, there's nothing you can do about it. They're, they're going to do what they're going to do, but it's just not the truth. What the question is, is, which vaping businesses out of this will get annihilated? Now, if you want to say that, you know, if you want to say vaping is all going to go away, people aren't going to be able to vape. Well, that's not true. If you want to say that the small shops are going to be not after two years are not going to be able to get past the FDA, that's that's a potential, but it's not necessarily true. If you're going to say that, uh, say, a large uh, e-liquid company. Uh, say Johnson Creek. If you want to say that Johnson Creek is going to be put out of business, 
I don't think that's true. I think they will make it past the FDA. If you want to say that some uh, small, unfunded uh, e-liquid company is going to go out of business, that's also possible. That, you know, that could be. But what's for certain is that if you are an e-liquid company and you do not attempt to get through the FDA, you will shutter your business at, at a point. I mean, that, that if you're not going to try, it will be over for you. But rest assured, vapors will continue to vape without you if you give up. And so I don't know if it's, if for, you know, maybe it is a strategy to, to have people screaming and flailing and screaming the whole industry is going to get wiped out. Maybe it's a strategy that people want to say that we are going to be so decimated it's utterly going to be you know uh it's it's like uh like a soccer guy uh, on fifa uh you know uh when they're when they're you know a guy i saw a video of a guy that got thwacked in the ear the guy took his little finger and just flicked him in the ear the guy realized that somebody had touched him and and jumped up in the air started screaming fell on the ground and did a, did a whole fake out thing to try and get the 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 officials to to believe that he was just bashed in the head so maybe that is a, a strategy is to to be screaming so much that the fda is going to come and just wipe us out that suddenly somebody's going to have to do uh you know it's the whiny baby theory that that if you just you know maybe that is what's going on but it's in reality, the FDA has said that it's going to cost not nearly $2 million a skew. They're they refuting that in public. They're disputing it. And because the FDA is disputing it, you better believe that their lawyers have taken a look at it. And you better believe that if the cost were, if they're disputing the cost of being that high and they were to actually be that high, then the FDA would be, they would have damages and lawsuits. That would enable lawsuits. That would create a situation where the FDA would lose if they're lying. So the strategy from Dimitri and some other people, um, and as far as, as far as I know, VTA, and, I, and just the strategy has been, it's an impossible thing. We're all going to die. And that's the only thing that, that can happen. And, and and I just was reading a post to, today uh, of of my favorite guy Dimitri, and uh, he's saying I will never accept uh, that we are be will be controlled by uh, an act that controls tobacco. I'll never accept it. Never something along those lines. Well, guess what? That's where we're at. You know, I think that people need to, uh, as they say, uh, wake up and smell the coffee. I mean, we're regulated. We're regulated under tobacco. It's happening. It's happened. The FDA does, is saying that it doesn't cost as much as the doomsdayers are saying. Now, you can either just say, oh, screw it. I hate the FDA. Fuck them. Yeah, go ahead. Do that. But if you don't put in your applications, you don't do your stuff, you know you're fucked because you will be fucked because you're, you know, the, the regulation, the law is not going away. Can you imagine the Tobacco Control Act suddenly punting just saying oh guess what e-cigarettes oh you don't count 
Oh, we're gonna we're gonna write a whole new law for you, e-cigarettes. We're gonna just we're just gonna stop. We we've been working on this for the last seven years. Uh, law came into effect in 2009. It's 2016. Seven years. We've been working on it, and we're just gonna we're just gonna quit now, just because we're not, we're not gonna do it. You got Mitch Zeller saying that this is a science-based regulation, and and you know my uh, trademarked. I have a trademark on it. Uh, it's science-based advocacy. That is a that's my trademark. Uh, that's what that's what we can come back at with them if they're saying they want to be science-based regulation. We've got the science on our side. So. Uh, let me look back in chat. Uh, the webinar made everything sound nonchalant and easy, though. Uh, which part? You mean nonchalant for, for DIY? For DIY? Uh, because it did sound very nonchalant for DIY. I mean, it's, it sounded like if you want to mix in your house, go to it. I mean, it's, it's, it, was, it could have been an advertisement. It was so... Uh, it just, they just said, uh, we don't control it. And, and they even said that the FDA has a policy of not uh, going into people's homes and, 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 and doing that. For eat, eat juice, uh, uh, no, I, I think what, he, he, it was clarified in chat that uh, he's saying that it, the webinar sounded like it was nonchalant for the manufacturers. Well, the, the one that I actually was broadcasting was the one for the vape shops. There's other webinars that I'm going to have to go back and, and listen to, uh, but this one was actually the live one. So it was it was made for vape shops, but they took a little bit of other things from manufacturers and they stuck it in there. There is a green light. They gave the biggest green light ever uh, for, for DIY. They just said, we're not going <laughs> to... You get to do it. Um, and so then the only question, and there really is only one is nicotine, and that's why I went straight to that uh, Supreme Court lawsuit that I need to read. I haven't read it. Uh, I just know it exists. So what, what are, I'm trying to think of uh, what things uh, kind of happened this week. I, uh, just today I was reading a Dr. F study on uh, talking about metals and vape, and I was really disappointed to read the, the study design that he did because he took it as an assumption that metals are inside of e-vapor. And then quantified what the risk of the metals are based off of the really bad statistics, uh, the bit really bad studies. So Glance and some other people took very old cartomizers and they tested them, uh, the vapor out of them at very harsh standards and found measurable amounts of metals in the vapor. One of them was tin. And the reason why they found tin was because there's a weld on the cartomizer and the, because the weld is uh, using tin and the, the heating element is so near that the metal, you know, what a cartomizer looks like, the, the coils right sitting up against it, there, there became some tin in the vape. The, the problem is that the sensor technology that we have now is so good that you can test, you can find little tiny itty bitties nothings inside of anything. If you were to go and take a thimble full of the uh, Pacific Ocean, you're going to find radiation from Fukushima in it. That's how good the sensors are. Uh, so when they say the term detectable levels, we're, we're talking, you know, electron microscope 
analogous measurements. I mean, we the, the technology to measure is makes anything detectable. Uh, anything detectable. Uh, I, I don't unless you're living in in outer space and in, in a perfect vacuum or something that that everything's detectable. Um, so it's frustrating because. The, I believe that we need to push back on the whole concept of these metals in the vape rather than saying, oh, but they're they're small. Because if anybody's looked at the flyers that the health groups go run around with, they run around with, here's the heavy metals that are in vapor. And so what Dr. F just did is, is he enabled those people to update their flyers and say, here's these metals that are in, in vapor. Even these vapor guys, even a, even a, a, a research scientist uh, guy out of uh, Greece who is a vapor, even he says there's metals in there. And so that's why I'm frustrated with the design because um, when I was, he was on a panel uh, at the FDA workshop number one, uh, there was three of them. Uh, and at an FDA workshop number one, there was a woman on the, on the left, right hand side of the panel, uh, left hand to her, I guess. Uh, who was giving presenting this study and this is back about in January of 2015 or something like that it might have been actually 2014 December 2014 it's, it's like a while ago now and I asked the question after she presented this I said the newer technology uh, I gave an example of a stainless steel pro tank essentially is using uh, you know stainless steel it's using canthal wire and it's using silicon uh, grommets, and it's using glass pyrex. So there's no way that you can get, you know, tin into that vapor. And I asked her when you would be testing those, and she said, uh, "We we it's it's in queue. You know, it's it's uh, we're going to do that. We're going to come back and do that." So wh what what has happened is that th when she was presenting in 20, let's say just say early 2015, she was using cardamizers that were bought in like 2010, 2012, she's using old stock of Chinese cardamizers to do the testing. And so it's, we've just validated, Dr. F has just validated the conclusions of that, of those studies. And it's frustrating because I know what's going to happen now is it's going to be, there's going to be a more of a push now, just like when Dr. F did the diacetyl stuff. It, that would that did not come from the anti-vaping groups. That came from Dr. F's study. That's how it got pushed into the public square. Uh, sure, it was on Reddit, but so now we're going to get these heavy metals pushed at us, and it's frustrating. Um, so I think it's you know if we look at a chessboard, I don't know who funded it, uh, why they funded it, but it was to me, it's junk science as a design. It's a bad design. Uh, you knew what conclusions you were going to get already. It was a waste of money, and it's a liability now. Uh, so that's I saw that today. All right, so uh, the next topic is inspired by Kurt Lobick of uh, Cloudy Competitions or Cloudy Collaborations, uh, Cloud Chasers Incorporated, uh, and uh, uh, some sort of... Uh, a billions lives uh, vapor industry liaison volunteer at attention era media uh, so a lot of people know him um, and uh, he's got a, a group that I 
I think I just got kicked out of it, actually. I don't see it on my list anymore. But uh, he's got a rather large uh, group uh, and following. And so what he did is he posted, uh, and, it, and I'm just going to read it verbatim. It says, uh, August 8th is a very important date for CCI and other vapor companies. You're going to... You're going to begin to see major changes within the industry. No more new products, no more innovation, no more modifications or branding changes to products beyond this date. What you will see on that date will be only products you see on on the, on this market. Want to change that? Get involved. Contact your state legislatures. Uh, join advocacy groups. We can win this, but we need everybody's help. I suggest you share this. Yes, even you. Don't worry. I don't mind. Um, and then, so what is linked to it is uh, the site called august8th.org. That's A-G-U-S-T-8, the numeral 8, T-H.org. And then if I click that, uh, where it sends me to is a CASA webpage uh, for CRQ. Uh, and this seems to be a way to contact your, your uh, congressman. Um, and so with the, I'll just read it. And this was updated on 5.18.16. Currently, there are two pieces of legislation that would effectively change the predicate date for products deemed to be tobacco by the FDA. Both H.R. 2058 and the Coalition Amendments are vehicles for language that would change the predicate date in the Tobacco Control Act from February 15, 2017 to that of the deeming regulations August 8, 2016. This change would allow for all vapor products currently on the market to remain on the market without being subject to the burdensome and prohibitive pre-market FDA approval applications uh, if the Congress does not act uh, to change the predicate established by the TCA, uh, the wi a wide variety of vapor. Okay, so here's my concern. Uh, well, I'll just go through it. Uh, is that let's talk about it for hardware because a lot of people... And, uh, you know, people uh, that were viewers are concerned that they are not going to get products to review. Now, that's kind of an ironic thing. I mean, that that's, uh, it's, it's, I, it, that's a YouTube, uh, that's a millennial issue, I guess, that people would not have boxes to unbox to review them. You know, there's a whole category of reviewers that all they do is take products out of the boxes. It's called an unboxing video, and they don't they don't even review it. They just say, "Oh, look at this! I I like the packaging. <laughs> and, oh, this is good packaging. Oh, I'm glad it's recyclable." And they take it out, and then they they, they like they take the warranty card, and they say, "Well, look, this is a lovely warranty card. I, it's really high quality." Uh, and then they say, "Oh, look, it, it comes with stickers," and they they actually evaluate the stickers that come along with the product. So. People might be concerned that there's going to be new product that aren't going to go away. So I've, I've seen people concerned they're not going to have products uh, to review. And that's obviously, it could be a concern. But let's go through how the predicate date change would change all of that. Well, you would have to, after August 8th, let's just say the predicate date changes. So it, it's now been changed to August 8th. So if there's a new product that you want to bring on board what you would have to do is to get a pre-market approval. Uh, now, now, let me go through this scenarios. So I'm, I'm now signing up to the conclusion that hardware is controlled by the Tobacco Control Act. 
and I'm talking about hardware that is finished product that is sold without in nicotine with, and is not sold in a bundle of nicotine and, and it is a finished goods product however it is just a tank. What Kurt is saying is that after August 8th well so I'm going to buy into that, that the hardware is controlled by the Tobacco Control Act. I really do not believe that, but I'm going to use that now for this example. So I hope that's clear. I, I do not believe that, though. I, I do not believe that you can regulate things that are toba that has tobacco, things that don't have tobacco and are sold as a finished product. I could go on ad nauseum. I'll try not to. Kurt believes you, this, it is the case. That's what this warning message is. So he's saying uh, that after August 8th, there's going to be no innovation. And what means, uh, so if we get the coal, uh, everybody will have to go get a, a pre-market approval for their hardware. Or they'll have to do a substantial equivalence to the hardware. So they'll have to do one or the other. And that's the current theory uh, under under the Kurt theory I'll just call it Kurt theory I, he won't care I'm sure under the Kurt theory uh, that after August 8th uh, you would ha either have to do a PMTA or a substantial equivalence thing because uh, there are no products that were before 2007 under the current thing you would have to do a pre-market approval that's the current thing now, if Kurt gets his way and gets this predicate date change, how does the predicate date change affect hardware under the Kurt paradigm? You would, after August 8th, you could not put a product, and this, okay, with a predicate date change, I'm talking about with a predicate date change right now. You could not put a product onto the market unless you had a PMTA. So that's the same. You could be able to use a substantial equivalence against another product. You'd still have to fill that out with the FDA. Now to do an SE, what is unknown is how you will have to document that grandfathered product. And here's where I'm concerned, is that if the, if the FDA has the predicate date change ripped out of their hands, that they could become nasty. So how would they have to handle a substantial equivalence? Well, you, I, you're going to say, I've got a Kanger Pro Tank, and I've got my, uh, my, my, another, my new product, and my new product... Uh, well, first of all, you'd have to establish that that product was being sold on the market by your company, and then you're gonna have to show that uh, you'd have to show what the characteristics of that product were that you were saying is grandfathered. You're gonna have to to say that you are equivalent to a grandfathered product. You're gonna have to characterize what that product was to some degree. So you're gonna have to. You'd have to do all the, the emissions testing. You'd have to do all the stuff. You'd have to do all these different things that you would have to do for a PMTA. Now, you would not have to do stuff like talking about uh, a population studies and things like that. You wouldn't have to do that. But you'd still have to do a lot of work. 
uh, to get these products on the market. So I, I think it'd be about 50% of what a PMTA would be. I think you would not get out of get, get out of the woods. Um, so what I'm saying is that a PMTA, a grandfather date change to the to the predicate date, doesn't get you nearly far enough because for for most hardware people you're still under this Kurt theory of hardware's regulated you'll have to you'll still have to file a lot of paperwork I hope that makes sense um, and I, I think it, listening back to what I just said uh, it sounds a little convoluted but a predicate date change doesn't do all that much to solve the hardware but that's the that's the worst case scenario because Kurt is the worst case scenario or rather Kurt's theory what Kurt's talking about is the worst case scenario the good news is he's wrong and I'm sure he'll be happy to be wrong because hardware without nicotine sold as a finished good product is not controlled by the Tobacco Control Act and here's my frustration it's Sevia and I don't know, I, I feel, uh, you know, I've talked to uh, uh, this, this Paul guy before. Uh, I've reached out to him from uh, Inkerton. I don't know if I can even do that anymore. Uh, I don't know if, I, if there's any accessibility of these Chinese hardware guys unless you have to go through Dimitri. And I think that Dimitri's going to slam the door shut on anything that I say. I just kind of think that. Because uh, here's what we need to know from Sevia USA right now is what is their position on the hardware? I went up in front of the FDA and said, uh, the reason why you don't see the hardware makers here today is because they know that they don't need to be here because these laws don't affect them. I said that to the FDA at the second FDA workshop. There's film. And that's been my position. That was over over a year ago now that's been I've been holding that position for a long period of time now here we are we've got the final rule it's nice that the uh, the hardware guys are trying to help out the e-liquid people I think that's good um, but I want to know what Sevia what the Sevia trade group is going to do and what their position is on August 8th it's 45 days away plus or minus five days we're about halfway through the clock. Are they going to stop shipping products in the United States? I don't think they will. I don't think they need to. And I think it's their responsibility to say what they're going to do. And so I think that there's a lot of advocacy out there right now that's being uh, put out there for for bluster and, and for ego and all sorts of different things I, you know I'm watching Shell listening to Shell on uh, and she's a board member of Safada I'm listening to her go on with Dimitri putting out wrong information and you've got people that are freaked out it's unconscionable to scream fire in a crowded movie theater you shouldn't do it and that's what's being done so I want to know from Sevia USA and <laughs> who's our contact we got Maybe I can call Phil. Uh, he's listed as the administrative assistant. But what is the position of all of those Chinese companies? How you know? And if somebody else can get that word in, uh, get that question on August 9th, Will Inkerton, Aspire, K 
Kanger, Smoke, uh, and uh, Joytech, will they no longer allow their products to come into the United States? It's time they tell us. They owe it to the vapors. I believe that they are unaffected and that they have every right to continue to put them in. And that's why if Dimitri is holding back on that information, and, he, and clearly the chairman of Sevia is holding back on that information. It's not being communicated out to us. So what is it? 45 days to now, are, are, is China going to continue to sell those products into the United States? They've got lawyers. They've had. They they know what they they you know they've they've got millions and millions and millions of dollars of resources to to analyze this question and know their answer. They know their answer right now. They know exactly what they're going to do. So Dimitri should tell us, or you know, and they should tell us, and every vape shop in the world should know. And one reason, let's say, uh, Kanger was going to continue to ship in, but Joytech wasn't. Well, that'd be something to know because you would want to rapidly break your relationship uh, with, which way did I say it? Uh, I'll just go to it generic. No, let's go ahead specific. Uh, say Kanger was going to continue. Kanger, continue. Joytech, no. Well, if that was the case and you're a vape shop, I would stop buying everything Joytech right now, this very moment. I, would, I wouldn't have any of that stuff. I, I just you, You're going to need to go to your other supplier. You want to get your volume discounts because you want to buy more of one product than the other. And if your customers are going to come in and go, well, you know, how come you don't have any more Joytech coils? And you go, what? Because they're not selling in the United States anymore. I've standardized on Kanger. They've already told us that they're coming in and they're going to keep, keep on shipping in. And uh, that's why. So, I mean, there's a competitive advantage to, to the companies that are going to go, yeah, we're going to continue to sell our products in the United States. So Dimitri's sitting on that. Sevia USA is sitting on that. They know what their answer is. They're not doing it. They're not telling us. It kind of sucks. My position for years has been that there is, uh, they have af absolutely every right. So what difference does it make? And we'll know in 45 days. Somebody could come back at me if they wanted to call. Let's just assume I got a call. Hey, well, they could just, well, I don't know why, you know, why don't they tell us right now? They should. They should tell us right now. We do not need to be left in the dark. You do not engender brand loyalty by leaving us in the dark. And, uh, you know, some of these companies are deep in China. <laughs> they do not have an English speaker that, that reads their manuals for grammar. And it just takes one person from the United States or the one person, you know, uh, they could go off to somebody and get somebody in Malaysia that's a natural English speaker. They're not telling us. So how do I conclude the subject? Uh, it sucks. Uh, Kurt, uh, I guess what this is saying, Kurt Lobick, Cloudy Collaborations, Cloud Chasers Inc., I believe his position is that he's not going to make any new hardware changes after the 8th. I'd like I, it'd be fantastic if he'd call up. Let me just check my phone lines, see if there's some sort of magical thinking that some, just because I mentioned his name, he's he's called in. And uh, hold on, dang, it's he's he's sitting right. No, he's not there. Uh, so I maybe I'll do that. I'll ask him. Uh, that'd be one way to do it. But the here's the thing: is that uh, 
he should continue to make his products and continue to do it. That's my belief. If he's had his lawyer tell him otherwise, I'd like to know it from him. So I, I'm doing this show on the fly. I hadn't thought about all this stuff. I will reach out to Kurt and find out what his company is planning on doing on August 9th going forward. And we'll find out. Uh, but but, but <laughs> I, it's clearly, I, it's clear, I see no, it I everyday messages and messages and confusion on Facebook. And it's caused a division. It's caused a division amongst groups, amongst vapors, and amongst industry as well, too. Right. So the clear message here is that we want to move the predicate date. Right. Right. So if we look back at the movement that was created last year with H.R. 2058, which you fought for and I fought for. We both went to D.C. pushing right. that message of H.R. 2058. We saw that it did not get the bipartisan support early enough. To, to get enough support to make it through the proper steps of becoming a bill. Well, no, that's not what happened. What happened is that it did not get supported because there was no law on the books. It was only a proposed law, so it's awfully hard to change something where it's not even on the books. So the timing of H.R. 2058 last year was early. And that if the fact that it's back again is good. And the fact that it's ready now that the law has actually been put out is good. But last year, there was no law. It's hard to operate on a patient when the patient isn't even in town. The FDA could have changed everything between their proposal and what they actually did, and that would have made the whole law moot. It was never going to go last year, but it was in. The, it was, it was prepared last year and available. It was prepared this year and available, and this is the year that its availability counts. It is. It's. It is fastly approaching the time when it's yeah i mean i agree but yes but we wanted to to support that sure. as, you know as long as we possibly can sure, we sure. support both i mean there has sure. got to be a support for both but there you know sure. we feel like there's an issue with the cole bishop sure. for sure yes a um, couple issues but all right before we get into the cole bishop amendment in the language the reason why the cole bishop amendment language was written the way it was was to gather that democratic support and to sure. always try to you know tag it along into another bill that that could get enough support that it moves the predicate date, right. correct? Because we saw that twenty fifty eight was not going to be that vehicle to move the predicate right. date and bipartisan and yeah, absolutely. So I, th I think what people are confused is that obviously we've said that if you well I think the confusion is when people says I want one or the other. Do you agree? Um. Yeah, I do. I do. I, I don't think I don't think that we've. We've all come out and said that we, we really support both of them. We have issues with – we don't Dimitri's want to Dimitri's the guy that is one or the um, other. This change. He's all Cole Bishop's the only to, thing that goes. You know, put, you know, specific language, which, you know, towards batteries in mm -hmm. particular, towards um, advertising. We don't want to see – it's got a long way to go. And throughout that track of it going, it can change. It can be horse traded. It can sure. be – I mean, there's a long, there's a long process sure. here. So it is concerning that, sure. that they could change. But you have to agree also that we need – to negotiate some language in order to get oh, the predicate Oh, that, That's the whole point, is that when this thing goes through, that's the blessing in it, that we can negotiate this language. Mm -hmm. We're just hoping that they don't negotiate it on their terms sure, sure. versus, but yeah, we, that's the blessing in all that. How are we going to negotiate this on language? The language is written, and they're the politicians. It's their terms. They, they write the rules that the agency, the FDA, controls. It's all on their terms. I, I don't know what Shell is thinking to think that, that 
how how this is going to be magical, mythical unicorns of uh, of uh, lobbyists. The, the 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 mythical lobbyists uh, are just going to walk in and do all this stuff. And why? <laughs> I mean, Dimitri thinks all you need to do is pay off Leno, and Leno will go away. That was an earlier episode. You just have to pay him the money, and then he'll be working for us. It does not work that way. You cannot just pay off a politician and have them do your bidding. And if you do, they go to jail. A good example of this is Blagovich in Chicago, the sitting governor of, uh, of Illinois, was involved with, with a person named Rezco, who, uh, and he appointed a guy named Tony Abund, who was the head of VTA, and, uh, well, we've already gone over that. The connection that I made right there is germane. Sure, and and how important is moving the pretty good day? Because I think I think yes. a lot of people a lot of people don't understand how how important it is for us to be able to grandfather our our products in in August, which again I think is being lost in in translation. Because if the FDA deeming rule goes as is, and all the products after two thousand seven have to file for a PMTA. I mean, it's the end. It, it, it really, right. it, it really is the end for everybody in this industry. Uh, I don't care if you're a small or a medium or right. Um, you know. No, I agree. I mean, we definitely, you know. The- Why, Shell? Do you agree? I mean, she's a board member of Safada. Why would she agree that it's the end? It's just everybody just jump off the cliff. It's the end. This is the end. You know. Uh, it's not true. It's here's what happens. First of all, if nothing changes, is that you you basically have three years so long as you do a, a pretty decent job with your paperwork to sell to selling exactly all of the same products that you're currently selling right now, and I, and you get to sell any of the new hardware that they come up with. That's the current paradigm of where we're in. That's the current. So you've got three years. Dimitri's like, everybody, that's it. We're all done. It's it's this or nothing. You better take whatever nastiness is in with, along with the Cole Bishop amendments, you better take it because if not, you're all dead. It's a threat almost. Uh, it's not the truth. So everybody can sell the same products. I mean, imagine if you just were selling the same products. You think that the vapors are going to go away? You think that uh, you don't think there's enough e-liquid flavors out there to satisfy uh, people? There is. There is. There, there, and, and new hardware will come out. And, you know, and that's three years. That's like a solid three years. And that's, that's three years assuming that the FDA after that says, oh, everybody has to go away. And what I said back two years ago is that uh, people were thinking that the, the FDA was just sitting on their hands as, as some sort of trickery. And uh, I was more or less saying with an industry that is growing by leaps and bounds as it was in 2013 and 2014, you think that the, it's a strategy by the FDA to let this industry grow big, tough and strong and then try and whack it down to nothing? They're going to take it out after it becomes a $10 billion industry? What's what's three years from now? What, 2019? 2019, it's, I think there's projections of 2020 that it's supposed to be at, uh, at a $10 billion or more than that. It's, it's going to be harder and harder and harder to take out an industry that gets bigger and bigger and bigger. 
but these guys are saying, you know, pack it up. Pack it up, guys. And, you know, they're both business owners in addition to their their therapeutical philanthropy. Philanthropy. I can't say it. The, the end result is that we want to move the predicate date. Yeah. We don't want this one hog-tying us to something sure. that is ugly, um, something that is, is um, uh, that won't help the smoker. You mm-hmm. know, That's the end result, is that if you take this and put it towards a certain type of battery, then you're going to lock out a lot of smokers to be successful. Sure, so that's sure. the concern. If, yeah, I totally agree. The possibility that it might be a 3.7 volt battery only allowed. Yeah, yeah, again, though, And then again, though, we're forcing the FDA to create some kind of a battery standard through this language as well, too, which they're doing already right now through the, through the deeming regs. Well, not really, not really. I mean, they're not. They're not. Yes, no, they're yeah, not. They, they don't to, have. They, have they don't know. They actually ask that you that you have to you have to register your hardware. So sure. that that hardware can be a lot of different things, and it's very open ended. Now. Mm-hmm. How that's going to end up? None right. of us know. Right, right, now that's the truth. Right. We don't know how that's going to end right, up because right. nobody's seen that paperwork right. and we haven't seen that documentation. So but. I talked to. There's no registration of hardware that I'm aware of. Um, the only people that would have to register hardware are people that have tobacco products. Hardware is not a tobacco product. So again, going back to the Sevia, what I was saying, are they going to register their products as tobacco products? They've got lawyers up the yin-yang, literally. These Chinese people have lawyers up the yin-yang, documented yin-yang. And uh, I want to know what they're going to do. Because if they're going to say, oh yeah, we're about to, we're going to register all our products with the FDA on August 8th, which is what they're saying they're going to do here, these two guys. I want to hear it. Because I don't believe it. I do not believe you, Shell Hamill. I do not believe you, Mr. Dramiti Agraphonis. I do not believe you. And I do not believe you for good reason. I talked to Gregory Conley about it today. He, he said to uh, uh, publicly and, and, and privately that the Cole Bishop is still the vehicle. And more sponsors that we have for HR 2058, the better it is because it creates relationships. And it creates support. Uh, even if that's, that support spills over to the Cole Bishop from the HR 2058, do you agree? No, I, I, I agree. I agree that, that, that we need that support on both of those. And yes. also, we have to be a little bit realistic as well, too. We don't want to give unrealistic expectations to the vapors. I mean, we have 14 days left in the legislation session. The HR 2058 has not gone through committee. So, I mean, we, we have to be realistic that this is not going to become a bill. I will let Cap speak to that because <laughs> I know as um, what I know that we're supposed to support both. I know yes, the issues. Yes, I totally agree. Yeah, so I will let Cap speak to yes, the rest I of totally that. Agree. But I, I definitely think you know, like I said, we need to be very realistic yeah. in seeing the issue of when this moves through, yeah. how it can change. Yeah. Um, and for the good as well as the bad, we are hoping that you know some negotiation can be done on our part to ensure that that it goes through. Well, that's why we have a federal lobbyist working out there for I, us, and uh, and hopefully the language will it be perfect? Most likely not. Will it be acceptable? I hope for the majority of the industry it will be. I hope so too. I hope so too. Um, but in any case, I think the biggest again problem. I'm going back to it is the division that people think that you're on HR 2058 camp or you're on Cole Bishop camp, and I think that that message is something that we could have done better as advocates and as organizations to push out to our members and to the community. 
Okay, this is the guy that's been telling everybody that HR 2058 is dead. He says that it's not moving and all this other stuff. He's been doing it. He did a whole video with Phil Bersardo doing all of that. Oh, it's dead. It's it, And he went into the old, uh, it was a good try, folks, but you just have to accept it's dead. What happened this week is that it got a Democrat, went on to H.R. 2058. It's now bipartisan. And so H.R. 2058 is bipartisan with more support than Cole Bishop. And it's, and it's gathered about 13 or 14 different new signators, co-sponsors onto the bill. It's moving well, all things considered. 63 of, of uh, 435. What is that? Of all uh, 63, 14.5% of every single congressman supports this bill. 14% have signed on to it before it's been called to a vote. That's a lot. We got 28% of the amount of needed to pass the bill are signed on to it. It's moving well, all things considered. And it's gathering steam. Now, people are saying, well, Cole Bishop is bipartisan. So that's what got blown out of the water this week because now uh, HR 2058 is bipartisan and it has more support. So everybody's been espousing on, well, you really need to make all these concessions in the Cole Bishop amendments because if you just give away the national database of every single vape shop, if you just give away advertising and you give away all these things, uh, that's going to make the, the people, uh, that's going to get these Democrats to sign on board. And uh, if you look at what the Cole Bishop bipartisan support of Democrats is, Two. Two Democrats support, our, two out of 435 have, are, are, is the contingent, uh, the, the gigantic contingent of the Democrat support of Cole Bishop as it stands right now. Two. So it was 31 to 19. And, and I heard somebody say it's two. I didn't actually look at the, at the actual record. I sure hope they're not going to mess me up with this because it was on, the, it was, uh, on that C-SPAN hearing. Uh, if people watch the CSAN hearing, few us idiots like me will watch those things. But they said it was two, two people. Uh, so of the 31, uh, 29 were Republicans, two were Democrats, and then the 19 others that voted against it were all Democrats. That's the bipartisanship that has been caused by these amendments. So now, uh, you know, Dimitri is doing the, the you know, he, he's dancing around and, and, and just doing this whole little uh, silly dance trying to explain how everybody should be voting for both now. It's just, a, it's a rapid reversal. It's, uh, he thinks that everybody wasn't paying attention to what he said before. And I fear that most of you are like that and you weren't. <laughs> silence, <laughs> silence. You don't agree that there's a camp. I. I mean, it happens every day. I live under a rock, yeah, so true, I'm going to stay without that. I, I like. I don't. I like my camp. I'm good in my camp. I saw in you my with, bubble. I saw you with your Motorola Razor phone earlier. <laughs> yeah, you, need, you, need to, you need to move out of the '90s. So, but good news: having HR, HR 2050 Democrat support that just shows that it's a bipartisan. That just shows you one thing that I noticed when we went to DC. Last week is now. Now that we have the FDA regulations in our hands, 
that we actually can show them. Because when we went last year, we were kind of speculating, oh, we're worried about the FDA regulations and how they're going to come out. But one thing that I noticed this year, and Dan Donahue is here and Amy's here. They were up in D.C. with us. One thing that we noticed is now that they've seen the deeming regulations and they've seen how virtually impossible they are for us. I think more of them are being more compassionate to the industry uh, as a small business and as vaping is, is, is concerned as well, too. So we have a little bit more power trying to sway. Vape shops will automatically close. They're scared. Right. We're seeing- vape shops in general in the industry believes that we have this 24-month window. But the reality is that a lot of this business does not have a 24-month window for various reasons. And one of the biggest reasons is that the vape shop depends on new product, right? It right. depends on this new product coming out. Vapors are anticipating to get the new device, the new tank, the new juice line that's going to drop. And all that's going to come to a halt for various reasons. And one of the reasons is that some of the vape shops will automatically close or scared. One of the reasons that some of the vape shops will automatically close or scared. Right. We're seeing it already. Right. 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 If you had three shops that uh, renewed their lease in September or October, you would think twice before, you know, signing another three years lease if you don't know what the outcome is going to be. So most likely you just shut them down not to get tied in. Right. Sure. So Shell owns eight vape shops. and She just said, sure, you're going to close down your vape shop. Is she going to show, close down her vape shops? It's one thing to be saying something on advocacy. It's another thing to be saying something as an advocate that has the same exact businesses that you're advocating for. And that's what I've been concerned about with Dimitri before, is that is Mountain Oak Vapors going to put in their uh, their paperwork to, to get their e-liquids approved? Now, I was able to uh, Facebook text in private messages with... Uh, Steve Nair. And Steve Nair says that they're not going to do it. They're not going to put in their paperwork. They think it's unachievable and they're not going to do it. I think that's a mistake. Um, but that's what he says he's going to do. And then on Dimitri's last broadcast, or one of them, he said that uh, Steve Nair went in front of his employees and said that, uh, you know, they might not have jobs in a year. So I believe that Steve Nair is being truthful with me. If he's actually had a meeting with his employees and and given them a warning he believes what he's doing um i i think that's a mistake but he is consistent perspective of that even though we do have a 24 month window the reality is that we don't really have a 24 month window simply because of the way of the timeline that the fda has set for for complying it depends on what you do. Mm-hmm. It depends on what type of business practice you have. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a business practice where you um, operate robotically, okay, and you are manufacturing e-liquid uh, the same way every time, yeah. you and of course ignoring new products, sure. okay, but uh, the products that you have now, you know, some of those may not even be there. They sure. may, you know, you may find that they're not going to be registered or what have you. So um, it depends on how you operate as a business. You definitely can go through that two years, but you're going to have to be compliant and you're yeah. going to have to be smart and you're going to have to see the rabbit holes that are there. Right. And, and, and that's, it's, it's very difficult because this regulatory framework is designed under the CTP that's dealt with these multi-billion dollar companies that have unlimited access to funds, unlimited access to lawyers, unlimited access to scientists, even in-house or contracted out. And simply, our industry is not prepared to handle something like that. True. And, and here's the thing. It's like, it's like we talked about earlier. If you don't see the, the net open 
at a certain point and 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 grab hold before then you can fall straight mm-hmm. through. So and that's where that's where the rubber meets the road in these FDA regulations is that if you don't have something done already, then you look backwards and go, "Oh, wait a minute, that time has already passed." It's so passed, you have to be right. very very careful not to get caught in that trap. Right. Your product, you have to file um, with the FDA August 8th what your product is going to be. So Phil's Love Juice has to file by August 8th. And you have to make sure that by December 31st, when you're going to start filing your ingredient listing, including harmfully, uh, potentially harmful uh, constituents and uh, ingredient listing and cast numbers and everything that the compounds that are used to make that flavoring will be filed with the FDA that's in your recipe. That's right. Well, there's two ways. According to the lady at the FDA by the name of Nikisha, a cartoon Nikisha. lady. Nikisha. Uh-huh. According to that, according to the FDA, they if you have a cartoon on your label uh-huh. and the FDA oversight board, whoever that may be, looks at your label and decides that it is um, marketing to minors, you may get a letter. Uh-huh. And when you get that letter, they say, you know what? I think you need to change your label if you want to continue selling that. Guess what? You can't change your label because it's past August 8th. Yeah. And now we are stuck in that rabbit hole. Yeah. Uh, I saw a question about the I do not think that there's anything like that. I don't know what, what Shell is pointing to. She says she talked to a specific person, um, and they're saying that somehow there's a quantifiable way uh, that can objectively determine whether an image on a label is marketing to kids and that that would be then be used to give a warning letter i haven't seen anything even coming close to that in any of the laws or regulations so um i don't believe it you've been to these events lately do i have to even uh go further than that i mean seriously there's a lot of there's a lot of labels out there that Again, if it's the discretionary of the FDA to judge these labels or what they're going to do with these labels, you can. I mean, you must admit that seventy percent, maybe even higher of that number of these labels that are currently on the market probably wouldn't make it through. That and and that is, I, I agree with you. Okay, that it depends on how how you want your viability okay. in this industry. To- you know, I've have not used seventy percent of the e-liquids on the market. I've seen plenty of pictures. Saying that 70% of the labels are marketing to kids, it's it's wrong. It's not accurate. It's unfair, and I don't know why they're saying it. How do you do? You, how do you want your business to, you know, circumvent through this? Are you going to go ahead and make these make these changes now to be compliant and make sure that you are are diligent throughout this process i mean it, how, how serious are you taking it if you're not taking it as seriously as they're taking it you got a problem because they're taking it very seriously they need everybody the problem is you've got a very influx of, of stuff it's got it's got you've got a lot of stuff that is that is thrown into the market it has gotten way out of hand and they have to make everybody come through the same door because they don't know a kanger from an innigan they just don't right so what's the best way to do that What's the best way to put them through the doors? To put them through the ringer, and even the playing field for everybody. That's right. That's exactly what they're doing. And that's exactly what and they're that's doing. Exa- and now, could that change as we move along? Absolutely. These are very, very open-ended. Yeah. So it can change, but they're going to get rid of a lot of bad actors yeah. along the way. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, I mean, for the last 
two years. I want to look back that we've been talking about this um, since since the meeting with Mitch Zeller that he talked about the marketing and the labeling of these products. And we try to bring it to the attention of the industry, along with the other 16 manufacturers that we attended the meeting with Mitch Zeller. But it seems like it just fell on deaf ears. In fact, I think after that movement of trying to improve these labels, it got worse. There is no right or wrong way to advocate for this product, as long as we can all agree what the ultimate goal is, right? I, absolutely. I mean, I, I agree to a point. Industry, yeah. Responsible looking and rallying. But... Going out, it's not, and this is what I told my Texas group, is I'm not worried about you going out there and standing in front of the courthouse or the state capitol building or whatever and rallying. I'm against you telling Joe, telling Bobby, and Bobby coming, and, and he doesn't know anything about the way we're supposed to act, and he acts like a crazy fool. Yes, and that and happens a lot. And all look bad. Yeah. And that's what the problem is. It has to be very, very organized. And unless you're hearing it from an advocacy group that this is going to happen, right. don't do it. And, and it should be. Uh, clearly, I'm not that prepared for this show. Um, so when I'm, I'm just uh, scanning through this uh, for, for points that I think are important to talk about. I'm not trying to play that much of it. And I'll, but uh, what they're talking about right now is people going out and doing a, a protest of some sort in an organized fashion uh, at some place. And I think that if you watch the Regulator Watch video, uh, there was a lot of talk about how things were done um, with the AIDS community. And the AIDS community did not uh, go away silently. They definitely made an issue of it. And we can also look at uh, the 420 uh, movement. And the 420 movement has worked. Medical marijuana is is now uh, pretty much commonplace across the nation large amount I'm, I don't know the exact statistics and it's now moving all the way over to recreational I believe that recreational is even on the ballot in California this year um, and so I understand that you want to have people acting civilly but to be honest I have not met these vapors in, in all the going arounds that are these radical assholes uh, that are so often speculated to, which is what Shell is doing here, that there's these, these people that are just going to be assholes that go out to these events. I haven't seen, you know, uh, there was one asshole uh, that went to, to uh, out of about 300 people in... Uh, in Sacramento, in inside of the building, there was one guy that said, that's BS, all the way in the back of the room, out of 300. And he said that. Uh, he was then, I believe, told to leave. Uh, the vapors around him said to leave, and he left. And that was it. So everybody thinks that if you get a whole bunch of vapors um, in a group organizing as a protest that there's just going to be people, you know, spitting in people's faces and stuff. Uh, or, or like the PETA people did. They used to throw blood on people. They stopped doing that. Then they went and they moved to actually just throwing ketchup on them. But for a while, they were actually literally throwing blood on, on people. Uh, now it's down to uh, confetti. They throw confetti on people or, or uh, flour on people. That That's pretty aggressive stuff. I haven't seen that by a single vapor doing any protest ever it just so I, I am discouraged and disheartened by 
the people that think that vapors are assholes, especially when they're representing advocacy groups. So I don't know what the outcome of having 5,000 people show up to a rally would be. I imagine it would be significant. But what if 300 people were doing a protest outside of the Capitol, outside of a better place would be uh, the White House? Because it's a smaller area and and it's well known. Uh, What would be the outcome of that? I think it would be helpful. I think it would be helpful. But do I know the answer? I don't know the answer. Do I think it's a gigantic risk that there's a whole bunch of asshole vapors out there that are going to run over there and and, uh, kick sand into uh, skinny kids' uh, faces at the beach? I don't think that's going to happen. And and I am more concerned about precluding these various tools that have worked for other groups and other efforts and not attempting them, not even having a single attempt. I mean, I th- I think I saw some stuff, uh, some protests that were done by Evan McMahon in in, uh, in Indiana that they organized those. I, I don't think those were negatively viewed. Not at all. All right, uh, let me see here. I got some other stuff I think I can toss into the fire. Uh, here's a question to Mitch Zeller um, from somebody that works at The Hill. Her name is Lydia Wheeler, and her question was, I was wondering, since there's some legislation that has been introduced to Congress to change the grandfather date, how that might impact, if it were to pass, how that might impact some of the compliance deadlines since you're staggering them? Mitch Zeller responded, If the writer you were referring to were to be enacted into law, it would have an enormously adverse impact on public health and the ability of the FDA to do its job. And for that reason, the administration opposes the two writers that have been introduced in the House. That if the grandfather date writer changes, which Congress can do through the legislative process, and the grandfather date becomes effective of the final rule, that would exempt all these products from any pre-market review for marketing purposes. And worse, the unreviewed products would then be able to serve as predicates for new products coming down the road. We don't think that this makes sense for a public health perspective. This is the position that the administration officially took last year when a similar rider was introduced, and that is the administration's view today. So. What Mitch Zeller is saying is that the President of the United States is officially against these riders. So that needs to be kept in mind when we're talking about this appropriations bill. The next thing I'm going to try and attempt here is to review the Lost Arts lawsuit. So let's open it up. All right, so as a background, I am not a lawyer. I have litigated uh, and won cases in court. Uh, I have a litigation experience. I am not a lawyer, and so you can go figure. I'm going to look here, uh, and so this is not legal advice. It's just legal analysis. I'm a, uh, one of the nation's foremost theoretical lawyers, 
and I give a lot of theoretical legal analysis and if you ask me if I'm a lawyer I will respond theoretically okay so I'm gonna start reading from page two uh, Lost Arts is bringing this case then it's gonna go into the background uh, the background is uh, they formed in 2014 then it talks about the Tobacco Control Act then it talks about uh, the the FDA deeming and it says it unlawfully expands the scope of the FDA's regulatory authority under the Tobacco Control Act to include vapor products such as those sold by the plaintiff. I think that that is not a factual background because the high, highest appellate court had already ruled that the FDA can regulate uh, under the Tobacco Control Act and that CASA had given to that court their amicus brief which said that uh, vaping is a tobacco electronic cigarettes are a tobacco product and they can be regulated by the tobacco control act so uh, on page two paragraph three it's contradicted by Casa's own position currently uh, the vaping of e-liquids has an appearance and taste and smell that that looks like it. Uh, Lost Arts has grown into a vapor life brand uh, and highlights and celebrates vaping culture. New and innovative uh, PEVs. I'm not sure what a PEV is. Uh, personal electronic vaporizers. It must be. Uh, are consistently being introduced into the marketplace. Any legislation. Uh, Makes clear Congress never intended to grant the FDA authority to regulate vaping products under the Tobacco Control Act. Well, if you look at the Tobacco Control Act, it talks about future products that are not yet defined. So it, the Tobacco Control Act always intended and was specifically designed to address future tobacco products. So on page 3, paragraph, se uh, 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 paragraph 7, they're wrong. That, that's incorrect. incorrect. Uh, it, the Tobacco Control Act did intend to grant the FDA authority to regulate products that were not defined already consistent with what a vaping product is. And that's because it operates on nicotine derived from tobacco. So it does do that. Uh, defendants are have unlawfully and in the absence of congressional authority enacted sweeping regulations that confuse, conflate e-liquid, uh, personal uh, vaporizers, and uh, and related software technologies with tobacco products, as the as the term is defined under the Tobacco Control Act. Well, I'll grant you that that it is confusing, uh, but that's only if you believe that the FDA is going to regulate hardware independent of nicotine as a finished tobacco product I just went through a whole web seminar from the FDA they said clearly they were not going to do that there was some ambiguity in some of that but there was other sections that were absolutely clearly answered so there is and that's why we want Sevia to come out with their legal position all of these multi-million dollar Chinese companies should put out their position on this and they haven't uh, they're joining in. Uh, they've given a check over to uh, to the Right to Be Smoke Free Coalition. So we'll, we'll see what they say. But I would, I still would like Sevia to respond on behalf of its members because I think they owe it to vapors. 
paragraph 9, Congress enacted the uh, Tobacco Control Act uh, 2009 uh, because of serious and then disputed effects of tobacco smoking, paragraph 10. Uh, it says Tobacco Control Act was not enacted to regulate technology products such as PEV, e-liquids, and or their component parts. Um, you can make that argument. Uh, proof of Congress intent is found through the Tobacco Control Act starting stating explicitly in the factual findings that serve as the predicate of the act. And it has a footnote too and it says see Con tobacco control act and it just says see the entire tobacco control act so proof of congress intent is found throughout the con uh, they just say it's found proof is found in the tobacco control act and then then they say go and look at it that's not a good way to to write a lawsuit you should point to something specifically rather than nothing uh and then uh paragraph 12, uh, for example, uh, oh, I guess I'm going to eat my words here. For example, uh, finding number uh, finding number 13 states that tobacco use causes 400,000 deaths in the United States and approximately 8.6 million Americans suffer chronic-related illness. Finding 14 indicates that 50% of the youth would result in approximately 750, no, seven, 75 billion dollars in savings over the life of something, uh, reduced costs. Uh, so they're just pointing out things. Vaping products do not have the, the do not have the same. I'm um, paragraph 13. Vaping products do not have the undisputed or adverse health effects of tobacco smoking or tobacco. Uh, blah blah blah. In in fact, the FDA has publicly said if a current smoker otherwise unwilling or unable to quit completely substituted all combusted cigarettes with electronic cigarettes that would be a significant uh, reducing of risk well clearly that's what the FDA has said and um, that is a positive uh, and that was contemplated under the tobacco control act the what the tobacco control act does it's very it's very simple act it's not that complex it it does some very specific things, vending machines, uh, various things with flavors for cigarettes, cigarettes specifically, not cigars, cigarettes only. Um, and then it, it has some stuff with cigars and that has some very specific things that, that uh, age 18, all those things went into effect like immediately. Those are all there, they're all valid. Uh, and then what it basically, the, the whole point of the Tobacco Control Act, it says that they will grandfather products in and then all new products must be safer than the existing products and if the tobacco companies or whoever else comes out with a tobacco product that is more harmful than all of the grandfathered products it will not be allowed on the market because it will fail a pre-market tobacco approval so everything new that is approved can be no worse than current products. That's what the act does. And people are saying, oh, it's the uh, Marlboro Protection Act. Well, I guess, uh, yes, it does grandfather in Marlboro Reds. And they'll continue to, the, the, I don't think the product changes all that much. Uh, over the years, uh, well, you could argue that uh, I've, I've heard people argue that they that they find that cigarettes became more addictive after a certain point, and that uh, 
who knows but the 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 they will have to document what the Marlboro is and the Marlboros cannot be taken off the market and they cannot force them to go off the market. The Tobacco Control Act does do that. But the main point of it is that it will not allow more dangerous products onto the market. And this is a good thing. It's a good thing for public health and it's a good thing for vaping because vaping is at a minimum, according to the Royal College of Physicians out of the UK, 95% safer than smoking. So we got the science on our side. That's why the moniker of, uh, you know, VIA, Vaping Industry Alliance, is science-based advocacy. I've got a trademark on that. It's because the science wins. <laughs> the science wins, and it wins for vaping. Uh, so um, on page four, it's a fifth, it's 27 pages. Oh shit, I better go faster. Uh, now it talks about the parties on page four. Uh, then it talks about the jurisdiction and venue. And then it says the first cause of action. The Regulatory Flexibility Act uh, requires federal agencies uh, consider the impact of the regulatory proposals and small entities. The FDA failed to satisfy this obligation. Uh, and that they will continue to adversely affect and abbreviated uh, by the deeming regulations, blah, blah, blah. Uh, accordingly, the, uh, the plaintiff is entitled to judicial review because the deeming regulations have significant economic impo uh, impact a number of small entities. Uh, so then it points to this uh, IRFA Act, uh, Regulatory Flexibility Act, I think, or something like that, um, requires under this uh, a description of the reasons why action by the agency is being considered, a succinct statement of the objectives, a description of where feasible the, the, the estimate of the number of small entities that would be affected by the proposed rule, a description of the, of the projected record keeping, blah, 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 and identification to the, ex, uh, the extent practical all the federal rules which may duplicate or overlap on this rule. Well, there's none on that. Uh, the the keystone of our uh, IRFA, however, is the description of significant alternatives to the proposed rule that accomplishes the state of objectives uh, of applicable statutes and minimize the rule's economics uh, for small entities. Well, looking at all that, uh, I'm on page uh, paragraph 26 on page seven. Um, I'd have to say that there's nothing else out there that controls tobacco control products. So this is the only game in town. So there aren't any other things that are better than this. That you've got, if you're a small company that is going to be adversely affected by something that's being done by the FDA under the, under the banner of public health, it's going to be your shit out of luck in the eyes of a judge because the judge is not going to say well you're just a small group of people uh, a very small company that's making this highly dangerous toxic product so I'm going to give it I'm going to let you go now I know that electronic cigarettes are not highly dangerous and not highly toxic however the regulations are premised upon that analysis so somehow there has to be an offering through through the FDA that these products are safe and the FDA is going to argue they are trying to skirt around a reasonable process to show that these products are safe for the public consumption 
And so just because they're a small company doesn't give them the right to go around uh, and, and put this this stuff in the hands of public uh, of, of citizens of the United States. This is a health thing. You can't just because of your size and, and the complexity of, of an application that's going to cost a couple hundred thousand dollars, according to the FDA, just work around it. And the judge, I think, would find all of those arguments well, and, and this is not going to work. I'll keep on reading it. In the development of the adoption of the alternatives, uh, alternatives, rather than focus on the overall costs and benefits of a particular regulation, the RFA requires the agency undertake an analysis that determines the impacts of, of the rule on small entities and then consider its alternatives that reduce or minimize those impacts. Again, there's no other thing that is regulating these. So there are no other alternatives to the, this one law. This is the only thing that operates on nicotine. It's FDA. It's... There's no alternative out there that I'm aware of. Possible alternatives vary widely based on regulatory uh, approaches. Uh, however, Section 603 of the RFA gives agencies some alternative and they must consider at a minimum. Each initial regulatory flexibility analysis, so description, blah, 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 consistent with the state of the establishment of different compiling. So this is like they're saying, well, you need to consider everything under the possible universe of anything that you could have done otherwise in this and I think the judge would say this is their first attempt at, at regulating this product and there's nothing else out there so you can't tell me that this shouldn't be it and you've got no damages I think the judge not going to find this nor nor would any jury if it ever made it that far the FDA's IFRA lacks the essential information required under the this is this is just a a plea for a mulligan. They're just pleading that uh, that the FDA needs to, to to do it all over again. The FDA analysis neither discusses a quantitative or qualitative cost of the proposed rule on the many potential affected small entities. Well, again, you can't. If you're a small entity, doesn't mean you can put a dangerous product on the shelves. They, you you don't get to skirt the the FDA's review just because you're a small guy. That that would be anarchy uh, in the regulatory process. The alternatives consider uh, marginal changes at best, blah, 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 lost art. Plaintiff is not alone in this assessment. Um, and it says, uh, Office of Advocacy of U.S. Small Business Based on this input, advocacy is concerned that the initial regulatory flexibility analysis contained in the proposed rulemaking so this is the, they're quoting the Small Business Administration. So they've just got, you know, a, a lobbying group for small businesses to say the same thing. Uh, the FDA does not supplant the IRFFA with blatant deficiencies. The FDA does not validate, blah, blah, blah. FDA should have cured these deficiencies before proceeding with this rulemaking. Um, paragraph 37, FDA received 70,000 comments to the proposed uh, deeming rule. That's not correct. Uh, they they received 135,000, of which 40,000 came from the... the uh, free to vape uh, organization and then 2,000 came from Kassab. Predominantly of the 135,000, they came from cigar people. Uh, and They're not all related to uh, to vaping, but just thank God that uh, Rip Trippers uh, came out with that uh, with the free to vape thing. 
which I, I think people still don't give them credit for. Uh, examples of significant less burdensome alternatives, blah, blah, blah. FDA is obligated per RFA to tailor its regulations as so as to mitigate the economic impact on lost arts and other else. And so the FDA is obligated per the RFA. You know what the FDA is going to say? We did that. Why do you think there are those master tables? That's what they're going to say, and they're going to win. FDA's initial regulatory flexibility act uh, accounted for the deeming rule, blah, blah, blah. In 2014, blah, 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 blah. This is all still on the first cause of action. Senator Ron Johnson, wow, this, is, this guy's already in here. Um, the chairman of the House Homeland Security thing echoed this concern in a recent letter uh, to the head of the FDA. The cost impact on this rule will have on e-cigarette manufacturers will stifle innovation and make it harder for e-cigarette companies to continue to offer products that serve as an alternative to smoking, it is possible that without a cost-effective alternative, uh, some consumers will resort to traditional cigarettes. Well, cost-alternative alternative is kind of speaking to uh, not to whether Lost Arts is still in the game, but it's it's speaking to taxes. So hopefully that argument as far as taxes will have the FDA talk to that. Good luck with that, I suppose. Uh, FDA's application of the Tobacco Controls Act self-executing provisions as applied to vapor products via the deeming rule includes pathways to market for new tobacco products. The economic impact will amount to making small and medium-sized businesses like Lost Arts obsolete uh, as they are unable to absorb the significant cost of such applications. Well, that's predicting the future. Uh, I don't think a judge is going to be able to function on a prediction of the future. In fact, the only vapor products uh, companies that can reasonably afford a new product application are the major tobacco companies. Well, that's when you, when you say something in a legal pleading, and when it says, in fact, uh, that is not a fact. Uh, that is not a good pleading. Uh, I'll find out who wrote this at the end. Uh, who have been creating and ad adjusting internal tobacco control compliance programs since enactment. Yeah. Oh, this is funny. In fact, the only vapor product companies that can reasonably afford a new product application are the major tobacco companies who have been creating and adjusting internal tobacco control compliance programs since the enactment. So, paragraph 44 of the Lost Arts complaint, unfortunately, is asserting as fact a conspiracy against the uh, tobacco companies uh, puppeting around the FDA. That's going to be something that'll take a little work to try and prove to a judge. And I don't think it's going to go over well. <laughs> I just don't think it... I don't think trying to prove... Uh, a conspiracy theory as fact in a court of law is going to be easy and even if you were able to do it I question whether the payoff will be worth the effort paragraph 45 the compliance with the above permissions would prohibitively expensive small and medium-sized business would lack the ability to comply in the time frame provided if if ever due to burdensome cost and you know they're gonna to have to establish and show why for paragraph 45 is true um, that has to be done. I don't know how they're going to do that until they try. And they haven't tried yet. Second cause of action, violation of the APA, FDA's unlawful cost benefit analysis. This sounds very similar. 
blah 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 amongst the other things uh, blah 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 deeming rule uh, deeming can, uh, speciously estimates 750 PMTAs will be filed annually law starts one of the thousands of small scale manufacturers will need to alone file 200 PMTAs if they wish to stay uh, in the current market well uh, the FDA was probably wrong with their estimate so they're wrong I, how is that going to help uh, you can't, if that was their estimate the FDA, the FDA is estimated incorrectly if you can't be you can't be self-fulfilling prophecy here you can't have everybody not file their applications and then say oh look only 750 applications were made that doesn't make sense you know people are going to have to I, you know, people are going to have to file uh, as indicated Senator Johnson uh, some manufacturers could spend more than 5,000 hours to complete an application. That 5,000 hours was in the deeming proposal. It was 1,750 in the new one, so that's old information. With a minimum cost of $330,000 per electronic cigarette, the FDA is denying that $330,000 minimum, and they are also talking about efficiencies. So that is uh, already being denied by the FDA. If Senator Johnson's estimate is accurate, the Starts alone would have to spend over 100,000 man hours and $66 million to maintain its current portfolio of products. Well, that's asinine. Uh, it's not true. And I'm sorry, but whoever whoever the lawyer that created this is, he's using a, uh, a uh, existential argument. What is that? Uh, that the, the very nature of... Uh, of the of uh, existential threat, the very nature of a lost arts will be absolutely annihilated by sixty-six million dollars of a requirement. Well, that would obviously be something that is powerful, but the FDA is denying that already. And how can you prove it until you try it? I, I th this is if it, paragraph fifty-two. If Senator. Johnson's estimates are accurate. If Eleanor Roosevelt had a B-52, we would have won World War II much faster. It's an old Saturday Night Live joke. It's, it's, it's a conditional. I mean, it's. If you ever watch the UFO channel, which is the History Channel now, where they have the guy, where if true, then this. Well, if you once you start with sentence with if. That means if it's not true, everything else that follows is meaningless. So if his estimates are accurate, well, there's no way to prove his estimates are accurate. The rest of the sentence gets thrown away. I think that's how I would treat it. Uh, a, a proper cost-benefit analysis, this is paragraph 53, uh, proper, uh, required by law, demonstrates the deeming rule, blah, 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 blah. Senator, Senator John emphasized in his letter, yada, yada, in in that vaping products do not contain tobacco and when uh, consumed are intended do not produce the harm caused by the inhalation of tobacco combustion. Well, Kassaw disagrees. Kassaw says that vaping is a tobacco product. 
but everybody does agree that they do not pr produce the harm of inhalation, so it's half right, half wrong. The removal of the vaping products from the market will have a negative impact on the population as a whole. I totally agree with that. Less restrictive and less costly regulations can achieve the stated goals of the Tobacco Control Act. Well, that, that's probably, I agree there too. An accurate accounting of billions of dollars in potential administration compliance cost would certainly uh, demonstrate that the cost associated with the deeming are currently formulated outweighs the benefits. Well, yes, I agree with that too. Accounting of, of billions of dollars in potential compliance cost. Lost Arts is saying that their cost for themselves alone is $66 million. And then there's that's where they get the, mil the billions, because it would be billions of, you know, if you had everybody in the current market you know anybody that's equivalent of uh, let me just do some uh, eyeballing math here um, how many companies are the size of lost arts I'm gonna say I'm thinking 150 or 200 200 is probably closer but I'm gonna go with 150 companies are the size of lost arts times 66 million dollars equals well, that's nine billion dollars right there so clearly if if lost arts is correct uh, that it's gonna be sixty six million dollars then it's it's gonna be billions and billions of dollars just based off of that eyeball right there so the billions of dollars of potential administrative compliance cost well here's the problem is that the FDA is denying that and denying that with specificity and it's already been done it's on the record and so you have this lawsuit say one thing and the FDA say another and then nobody's tried with the FDA how are you going to get an injunction when the FDA is already denying your claims are true as a matter of fact it's it's this this lawsuit it, it it's premature uh, and they don't have damages yet they don't have damages to show to get any injunction the cognitive and policy, um, paragraph 56, the cognitive and policy basis of the FDA uh, pervade and resulted in defective cost-effective analysis of the blah, blah, blah. Paragraph uh, 14, uh, Tristan Berkeley, uh, chief economic officer of Johnson Creek, stated in a letter to Dr. Kaleff, the FDA's current regulations would extinguish a multi-billion dollar industry and put tens of thousands of people out of business that's bad uh, but I'm not sure uh, well Johnson uh, uh, Johnson Creek is in the same district as Senator Johnson I wonder <laughs> I wonder how long Senator Johnson's family has been in that area uh, because he has a creek uh, apparently named after him so that's all this is all it's it's more of the same it's saying that these costs are overwhelmingly going to just annihilate the industry heard that appreciate it understand the concern however we're talking about now is persuading a judge and I don't think that you're going to be able to persuade a judge to act based off of a new law going into place without the establishment of damages and people saying that 
it's potentially going to be bad, but they haven't even tried yet. And the reason why the court is going to give great deference to the FDA is because the FDA is charged with the public job of protecting the public health. And there's enough knowledge out there about how dangerous tobacco products are. And CASA has said on the record to the courts that electronic cigarettes are a tobacco product. So we're stuck. Also, Bill Godshell did, and also uh, Dr. Siegel did, and Dr. Nitskin, and, and uh, Smoke Free Pennsylvania, and all of these groups said on the record to the courts, the highest appellate court in the land, that electronic cigarettes are a tobacco product that can be controlled by the Tobacco Control Act. And I think that that is going to be used by any judge reviewing the prior case law and saying, they are saying it is a tobacco product. This is the same group that is CASA. I mean, that's the same group has said this. And they say that it can be regulated upon this act. So here, the act after, after six years, after you know, 2010, 2011 is when that, that was filed with the court. Now, you know, 2016, uh, the, the FDA has finally gotten around to trying to do this. And, and you don't have damages yet and you don't have any way to prove that the FDA is doing it in a manner that is harmful because nobody has written a check yet. Nobody's attempted to do this yet. It's, it's not going to work. A judge is not going to side on this and I don't see how a jury would either. And certainly if you're going to do a judgment on the pleadings that, that the pleadings on this are making wild claims. They, you can't you cannot make when it says if uh, if an assumption uh, if the estimates are correct is part of one of the paragraphs if you do a judgment on the pleadings you, you then have to make an assumption that all of the elements of the lawsuit are true there's an assumption when you do judgment on the pleadings or when you ask for uh, to be dismissed on the pleadings that you, you can't make I don't think a court in their own eyes can make an assumption that a conditional statement like starts with if is a true statement. So even if on judgment of the pleadings that the judge is required to assume that all of the elements asserted in the claim are factual, that the judge is still going to take the one that starts with an if and throw it out for their own usage. So I don't see how they, I just don't see how it's going to work. Uh, and then it says paragraph 58. Unfortunately, the FDA's attempt to move to improve the public health by scrutinizing the e-cigarette industry could ultimately restrict result. It could ultimately result in a negative, unintended health consequences. The costly impact the rule will have on e-cigarette manufacturers will stifle innovation and make it harder. Uh, blah blah blah. And it's so it's basically it's making it's. Uh, it's being uh, Johnny Carson's Karnak, and it's trying to predict the future. Uh, some of the biggest costs are those that are unseen. The businesses will fail and never start. The people will not be hired by those businesses. The existing products will not be improved. Innovation products uh, that will not be developed or introduced to the market and better li uh, lives that consumers uh, have lived have then uh, access to these innovative and better products. Paragraph 59 is like creative writing 101. Who, who wrote this lawsuit? I'm on page 14, halfway through. 
Uh, Phil Damon and Associates. Damon and Associates LLP. Uh, they're out of Los Angeles. Uh, Phil Damon Esquire. Uh, and uh, Phil Damon. So uh, so that's uh, Phil Damon and Andre St. Laurent Esquire. Uh, so one guy is out of uh, Los Angeles and the other guy is out of uh, out of uh, Washington, D.C., apparently. So going back to page 14, I, I think that that paragraph is, you know, what do I know? Uh, I know nothing. Uh, paragraph 59, some of the biggest costs, I mean, they're, they're just saying the costs are unseen. It, third cause of action, violation of the First and Fifth Amendments. Yeehaw. Uh, blah 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 unprecedented restrictions on plaintiffs first amendment rights to truthfully disseminate all this stuff uh, if you watch the uh, all the stuff on the first amendment and on the labeling and all this stuff it's all been litigated uh, it has been litigated on tobacco the courts have ruled that tobacco companies cannot make these health claims for mild and, and, and things that they cannot make health claims and that these labeling restrictions that they must put on are okay for tobacco products and they made them that this was all done for combustible tobacco products you want to they, they want to try and come in on, to operate on a tobacco control act before the law, the law has even done anything you know warning contains nicotine that's what the warning label is and then uh, you're not supposed to be able to say that this product is safer than tobacco well, you know, that's all you got? That the, you can't say it's safer than smoking? That's it? Well, I mean, you can't say that. You can't stick that. And this is concerning marketing, by the way. This is not what you can say in a vape shop. In a vape shop, you can point to the Royal College of Physicians and what they said. But you can't take out a billboard and say, uh, blue cigarettes are safer than smoking. So the thing is, if Cole Bishop goes through, you don't even get to advertise. And as I've speculated, that might even overlap into the Internet. So it's all moot anyway. So they've got they've got the First Amendment claims in here, uh, starting on page 15 and 14. Uh, I think it's all a waste of time. Uh, even if you win, if you win on all of this stuff, freedom of speech, you get to say vaping is safer. Yay. What, how much do you think that's going to do? I mean, I, you can have a, a product demonstration inside of the vape shop. I, you know, uh, when I used to smoke, uh, the one way, I, and, and I think this is a funny thing, is that all these smokers that go around, oh, I had no idea that smoking was bad for me. The, the big tobacco companies lied to me. You want to know how to, to tell what, what smoking does? Take a, take a Kleenex, inhale from a cigarette, and then just... It, Put the Kleenex right up to your mouth and exhale that that smoke out, and it'll all shoot right through the Kleenex. Uh, and then uh, take a look at the Kleenex, what it looks like. It's brown. It's already brown from one puff. It's brown. Uh, so, if you don't think that's happening to your lungs, you think you were lied to from the tobacco companies. You couldn't figure that out. I, I don't I don't buy it and the and the warning labels saying it's been on cancer been there so all you know so who who 
cares about the this stuff that you can't say it's safe or not. You, if you read the side of a pack of cigarettes, it says this causes cancer in any nif- different number of ways. It it says in a big gigantic warning, this will kill you. Are you a stupid fucking idiot? Really? How dumb are you? You're about to open this up and smoke them. They're going to kill you. That's it's all about smokers, right? So vaping is all about smokers. That's the the, the intended audience for vapor. They already know that, that, that cigarettes are killing them and they don't care. They're still doing it. And there's a product here that's vapor that's that's better and it doesn't take a, a you know a rocket scientist to figure out that vaping's better. I I don't get it. I mean it's uh who cares that the FDA is unwilling to say uh, is not that it says you cannot market that it's safer? And I know that there's people like Bill Godshell and there's people like uh, Carl Phillips out there that were very pissed off that you can't say that snus is safer than tobacco and safer safer than than uh, yeah, it sucks. And so you say you you file this lawsuit and you get it changed. Look what you've won. You've you've won an advertisement. It's and nobody nobody advertises tobacco products all that much anyway it's it's meaningless so that's a long-winded way of saying that cause of action three which is most oh, that's not most of it starting on page third cause of action violation of the uh, first and fifth amendments fifth amendments I'll have to read that <laughs> usually you think when you're taking the fifth it's the, it's the right of uh, not impeaching yourself uh, or uh, you know you know what the fifth amendment is so starting on page 14 scrolling through goes all the way up to page 20 uh, and so then it's talking about the size of the warning labels and I think that they're saying that because of the size of the warning label that it's the warnings gonna have to be too big too gigantic to, on the bottle I saw some stuff on on that last uh, the last show talking about how big the warning labels would have to be for a package that can barely uh, hold up. Um, that 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 for they were basically said in the webinar that if a product was so small that you cannot pull the foot put the full warning on it, you would ha- you could either attach something to it, and in some cases you could have a product display that included the warning. But if anybody's ever you know gotten a a bottle of cough syrup. Uh, there's a type of label that has uh, that that you peel off with a with a weak glue that that you can see the package insert. So there is an implication uh, that people might ultimately have to use a package insert thing like that. Now, I think there's ways provided by the FDA's law that you will be able to change packaging without throwing out your whole PMTA. And that's somewhat of a negotiation with the FDA, and it's something that I'm working on uh, because they're, it, they have regulatory flexibility. So, as I've said before, when people are going out there and trashing and thrashing these people, they're not realizing a very simple thing that your mothers should have taught you uh, that these are people. And, uh, you know not being nice to them is not going to achieve anything and uh, as I've said before uh, I think there's some corrupt actors in the FDA 
that have done corrupt things. And, you know, they were just, one of them's under indictment, and there's some other stuff, and we can talk about all of the revolving doors and all this other stuff. But when it comes down to it, it's going to be down to the specific individuals. I have looked at the CTP, and, you know, I came into this late. I wasn't around in 2010. But if I just look at what they've done, they've done nothing for years and years and years. They've been out there. We've been waiting for them, but they've finally done something. So from two, from 2009, they tried something. And I don't know who was running the CTP back then. Then they tried stuff in the courts. 2010, 2011, 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16. Here we are, 16. And nothing has been done yet. Everybody, it's still the Wild West, whatever we're going to call it. And, you know, things are starting to happen. So... I could say that I, I distrust everybody in government or whatever, not, but until the FDA starts to screw with me, I, if I was around in 2009, I could say, yeah, they screwed with me then, but look, look what's happened since. I understand it sucked in 2009. I understand smoke-free underwear. I understand Soterra. I understand Enjoy. I understand all of that. It's history. I understand that there was a study done that they were talking about diethylene glycol and that that was all those problems with that. I understand all that. But in the time since, they haven't done anything to me yet. It's it's like I'm, I'm, I'm standing and there's, there's an opposition army and I'm being told they're ready to kill me. And years go by and they haven't done it yet. So, I mean, science-based advocacy <laughs> evidence based advocacy I want to see them do it first and now we can say yeah you know the theming worst thing on earth yeah I agree it's bad it's all that stuff but all of this bullshit saying it's going to cost one company 66 million dollars is being refuted by the FDA so I can either listen to the FDA say it's not true and I know that if they're making false claims like that that a court will be very pissed off or I can listen to some lawyer I barely know whoever Phil Damon is and whoever this other Saint Laurent guy is and I can say that it's gonna cost his company 66 million dollars I, I don't know what to think but I don't don't think that the the First Amendment cause is gonna work fourth cause violation of the APA abuse of discretion what's that going to be APA provides reviewing courts shall hold unlawful and set aside any agency action that is arbitrary this is not arbitrary capricious this is not capricious and an abuse of discretion it's not an abuse of discretion or otherwise not in accordance with the law it's not otherwise in accordance with the law and thus is in excess of statutory jurisdiction it's within the jurisdiction authority it's within their authority or limitations it's within their limitations or short of statutory right it's within their statutory right so everything in paragraph 93 they're wrong they, they 
The Supreme Court has explained that paragraph 94, the Supreme Court has explained that the arbitrary and capricious standard requirements engage in a substantial inquiry, in particular reviewing the court, the reviewing court must determine whether the agency has examined the relevant data and articulated a satisfactory explanation for its action, including a rationale connected between the facts found and the choice made. Well, they did all that because they just, they, they pointed out, uh, and that they're they're talking about that kids are rapidly starting to use electronic cigarettes so it's not capricious or arbitrary if you're talking about regulating and taking it out of the hands of of kids because the tobacco control act because it is now deemed electronic cigarettes takes electronic cigarettes out of the hands of 18 year olds and lower i mean one through 17 in, in 365 days. So they're going to make an argument that the Tobacco Control Act is arbitrary and capricious uh, because there's no authority for the government to say that uh, minors and people under 18 shouldn't be allowed to use e-cigarettes or purchase them. That's what the Tobacco Control Act does. So what are they in the, you know say that that they're they're against parts of it but not other parts they're only against the parts that they don't like because that's not their business I mean it's not this is not going to work in reviewing the explanation the courts must consider whether the decision based on consideration of the relevant factors and whether there's a clear error of judgment there's no clear error of judgment the the deeming rule violates the provisions because inner inner alia it is determined its definition of tobacco product and the attendant proposed reach of the proposed is unambiguously foreclosed by and is unreasonable construction of the text of the act not according to Kassaw, Bill Godshall and uh, you know uh, uh, Dr. Siegel and Dr. Nitzkin and you know Smoke Free Pennsylvania and the American Society of uh, Cardiol ASCH I think is one of the other people that was uh, on that I'd have to look it up again not according to them all of them say that electronic cigarettes are a tobacco product. They agree with the definition. So this paragraph says the deeming rule violates those provisions because its definition of tobacco product and attendant proposed to blah blah blah. It's is they they disagree with what Casaw says. So you know we can pretend that the highest appellate court in the land has not been provided that information in writing with signatures as part of the official appellate court record in the DC Court of Appeals next stop being the, the, the Supreme Court we can pretend that that doesn't exist but the judge will not be part of your pretending so if this is all you got uh, if this is the lawsuits so far I'm, I'm it, it, it ain't it ain't gonna this dog don't hunt is what I would say uh, this dog do not hunt um, the deeming rule is unlawful when judged against the standard under the tobacco control act blah 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 tobacco provides three options for providing blah 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 it's talking about the tobacco control act PMT pathway is the only realistic avenue that's that I agree with that uh, unfortunately, the PM pathway is more aptly described as a nebulous, bankrupting. Oh, this is cute. P 
Paragraph 105 states, Unfortunately, the PMTA pathway is more aptly described as nebulous, bankrupting, dead end. The Tobacco Control Act mandates denial of PMTA applications if the FDA's judgment that the application has not demonstrated that the product is appropriate for the protection of the public health. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with the FDA determining that the that electronic cigarettes are appropriate for the production of the public health? They should do that. They will do that, and that's the only determination that they can do for vaping because it's the truth. The data is in. The science is in. The FDA's own commissioner, uh, Zeller, says that it's true. The science is on our side, it is appropriate for the public health. That's, it, it's a done deal. It's a matter of putting in your applications, you lazy bastards. Uh, vaping products were not allowed on the market 20, uh, February 15th, 20, 2007. Similarly, uh, vaping products do not meet the criteria of the SE exemption pathway. It's basically talking about that you have to use PMTAs. Yeah, I agree. That's what's going to happen. Uh, the deeming rule fails to address the extraordinary burdens these requirements place on a small entity such as a plaintiff. Again, it's like, oh look, we're so small, we should be able to be able to sell a, a very dangerous product uh, onto the market. And we're going to tell you that our product is the safest, but the FDA doesn't have the right to tell you or agree with that. It's crazy. I mean, uh, so should I be able to sell spice, uh, you know, uh, in these packages, uh, you know, synthetic drugs? Should I be able to sell those and get those onto the market just because uh, because I'm a small guy? I'm just I'm just doing this out of my my I'm out of my garage, you know, uh, and any regulatory burdens would be very inhibiting to my business. Uh, so do I get to just sell whatever the shit I want? No, you don't. You don't get to do that. And the good news is, is that you do get to sell a safer product than cigarettes. And the good news is, is that you do uh, absolutely have the evidence to show that electronic cigarettes are much safer than tobacco products that are combusted. All that evidence is in. Now you're trying to get the FDA not to even do a review because you're saying you're too cheap to actually do it. Do it. Now that's flippant. I'm being flippant right there. Uh, but the FDA has said that the estimates of millions of dollars per application are false, and they've done that on the public record. And that's something. And if they, if the, if the FDA doesn't fulfill their promise on what they are representing out in the public square about the cost of these, if that all fails, then yeah, there's going to be a case. And, you know, we're talking about a case that could be lodged three years from today, approximately three years from today. You got, you might have a case there. Royal College of Physicians recognizes, they even talk about the Royal College of Physicians. I'm on page 24. There's not much left. The PMT process will, will certainly take many years, as outlined above. FDA has struggled to administrate the obligations uh, with cigarettes. Well, the FDA says that they fixed that. Hookah pipes, blah blah blah. USB chargers, blah blah blah. It's just a, it's a paragraph 116 is what I'm reading now. The deeming rule does not articulate any ba a basis for imposing such a short deadline on the introduction of new products. I agree there. 
There's 90 days things sucked. It's I'm pissed off about it. I didn't anticipate it. I think it's within the regulatory discretion of the FDA. I want to ask them to change that. I'm going to try and do that. I have a meeting. The deeming rule does not address the public health consequences of removing vaping products from the market. Why? Because the FDA insists that it's not going to happen. I did read in the original deeming that it said that the number of manufacturers may reduce. It, it's possible it could reduce. It might have even said likely it would reduce. However, the actual volume to the consumers is uh, not going to decrease. And that's my dilemma is that in all of these companies that I'm asking to help with the PMTA process, I know they may use their size as a advantage over their competitors to file their applications. Page, uh, paragraph 119. The net effect of the deeming rule, which now subjects products known to be less harmful to the same onerous burdens placed on electronic cigarettes, is to solidify and st is to solidify the stability of big tobacco and traditional products, namely cigarettes. New companies like plaintiffs and thousands of other small entities will struggle to survive the flood of administrative and, and clinical burdens while the big tobacco companies will leverage the same burdens and then beliefs of hundreds of grandfathered products and significantly blah blah blah. blah. Uh, woe is us is paragraph uh, 119 is woe is us and dear judge help. Uh, that's what it boils down to. Um, and so what's, here's the, uh, the conclusion of this little story. Relief requested. Therefore, plaintiff asked the court issue judgment in favor and against defendants and grant the following relief. Vacate and set aside the deeming rule. Uh, that's gonna happen. I think. I think that's gonna happen. <laughs> oh yes, yes. <laughs> the judge will just vacate the deeming rule. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we'll just we'll just vacate it. Uh, B. Declare that the deeming rule is contrary to and exceeds the FDA's statutory uh, authority under the FDAC. Okay. <laughs> it, it, is this the FDA is working under their authority, whether you like it or not? You're, you're like arguing with the cop and going, you don't own, you don't have that badge on. You don't, you're not the cop. And the cop is going, no, seriously, it's a, it's an issued badge. I'm, I'm from the state. I, I, I have this job. I can do this. And they're, no, you can't, you can't do it. Uh, I mean, I don't, it, the, the FDA has the authority under the FDCA act. It's already been upheld by an appellate court and, and CASA has already said that, uh, you know, Electronic cigarettes are tobacco product and can be regulated by the uh, FDCA as provided for by the addition of the Tobacco Control Act of 2009 signed into law by President Obama. The deeming rule is arbitrary, capricious, and abuse of discretion and not otherwise uh, in accordance with law. The deeming rule cost-benefit analysis is unlawful. So they, they want the, the, the court to find that the deeming rule is arbitrary, capricious, abuse of discretion, and otherwise not in accordance with the law. That's not going to happen. The, the deeming rule uh, 
and the reason why it's not going to, it's not arbitrary, it's not capricious, and it's not an abuse of discretion. And nor could a court ever find that. Uh, the deeming rule cost-benefit analysis is unlawful. Uh, th what this case is making a claim is that it's going to cost this company $66 million. The FDA's own cost-benefit analysis that they want to find is unlawful directly conflicts with the assertions made in the factual allegations of this lawsuit. So the judge isn't going to go for that one either. The deeming rule is contrary to the First and Fifth Amendments. Well, good luck with that. I mean, you know, maybe you can maybe you can win on the First Amendment. I doubt it because it's already been found. It's already been upheld for analogs. The First Amendment and the Fifth Amendment claims have already been upheld for analogs. And now you're going to try and say, well, we're vapor products, so you can you can't do it to us. Well, good luck with that. I mean, maybe you can win that. Maybe you can overturn something that's already been adjudicated uh, for tobacco. Maybe you can. But let's just say you can. You, you're able to do it. What do you win? You win squat. You don't. You won't win anything of any significance. So yeah, throw it in the claim. Spend your energy. You know, spin your wheels on it. And uh, maybe at the end, you get to say uh, it's so much better than tobacco. Big deal. It doesn't. It that that doesn't win you anything. I w I wouldn't spend the money on it. Uh, because it's already it's already been adjudicated. Issue a preliminary injunction in, in joining enforcement of the deeming rule and prohibit FDA from taking any action under the deeming rule pending resolution of the merits. Issue a preliminary injunction in joining enforcement of the deeming rule and prohibiting the FDA from taking any action under the deeming rule pending resolution of this action. So that's they want a temporary injunction. Why should they be granted a temporary injunction when there's no offering of damages? They're, they're unable to show that the company has been damaged in any way other than anticipation that the company will not file any paperwork, will not do anything, will refuse, will just, just not do anything. And then those future harms would come in two years. So how can you grant a preliminary injunction when there is no offering of damages? Why would the court, a preliminary injunction is essentially saying it's likely to be decided in your favor and that because you would be damaged that they're going to have to stop it. So that's not going to happen. I got 50 seconds left. Expedite resolution of the actions on the merits. Expedite, expedite resolution of the actions on the merits. Yeah, work fast. Grant law, uh, grant attorneys fees and expenses. Award any, uh, so Damon Associates, Andre St. Laurent Esquire, and Phil Damien Esquire have filed this motion and uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, they're just going to declare, declare the deeming rule, just get rid of it, Va vacate it and set it aside. This Good, good news. We've got the lawsuit. I sure as hell hope that Azeem's and uh, Keller Hexman lawsuit is better than this, this thing, uh, because this is uh, not going to work. If you want to believe otherwise, go ahead.
It's the end.